what does working your way mean to you? How do you want to bring yourself into your career? What is your ideal vision of working your way look like? And what can you do where you are right now? Welcome to the Working Your Way podcast. I'm Sundia Sadhakar, and I'm a coach, a facilitator, and a speaker, and now a podcast host. My mission is to cultivate a sense of belonging in the workplace by helping people show up more fully in their careers, but also to work with teams and organizations to create more inclusive cultures that really welcome and accept that in. On the podcast, I'm going to be talking to both leaders in the corporate world and people who have blazed a new trail in their careers. And we're gonna trace their journey from when they felt like they couldn't be themselves at work to how they're showing up authentically in their careers now and how they're building those wildly successful careers by working in ways that work for them. We'll talk about how they've grown as humans and the things that have been most helpful to them along the way. And I, I hope that you can take away your own insights from each of their journeys. But also along the way, I will be providing tips and tools and tangible resources so that you can apply some of these learnings to your own career and working your way. So before we hear from these amazing guests, I'm going to share a little bit more about why I started this podcast and a little bit about my own career journey and how that's led me here. So thanks for being here and here we go. Why did I start a podcast about authenticity at work? Largely, it's because it's really complicated. And there's a lot of talk right now about bringing your full authentic self to the workplace. And the biggest question that I want to talk about with my guests is, what does being yourself at work really mean to you? There's some work that was done by Jody Ann Burry and Ruchika Tolshian that I want to credit here that talks about As somebody whose identity is not centered, if you're a woman of color in the workplace, for example, oftentimes you're told to bring your full self to the workplace, but the environment is not conducive to that. You're actually not welcome to be your full self in the workplace. And so it can be a complicated topic. Do you want to bring your full self into the workplace? Is that for you? What role do you want your career to play in your life? Is it a sense of purpose or is it a paycheck? Those are questions that we all have to navigate. And then for for those of us who want to show up fully into the workplace, is the environment inclusive? Will it accept your full self? And so this complicated conversation of authenticity looks different for everybody. And I also have to say, authenticity is not an excuse to be an asshole. I'm just going to lay that out there. It's important for us to know that we get to choose how we show up. And saying that this is just the way I am and using authenticity as an excuse is no longer acceptable. But I think it's okay for us to kind of change our definition of what we want to um, think about as authenticity in our career, to show up fully one day, or maybe you're in a different company and and you don't want to bring all of your personal life and your identity to the job. I think that's a a constant kind of navigation that needs to happen. But my hope is at the end of the day, 
we're not hiding important parts of ourselves or leaving behind things that are really critical to our identities. And I think our careers can offer us so much more. And so if that's a choice that you make, it could be a place to express who you are and derive a sense of fulfillment. And it's okay for us to think differently about this. Uh, Really, it's just exactly why I want to bring a range of stories and perspectives and, and different interesting individuals that are navigating this differently for them. Authenticity is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because it's really been a journey for me. I will admit something, and it's that I love to work. I feel like that's not really a popular opinion these days, but I've always loved to work. I love to feel valuable and contribute and impact others through the work that I do. And also, I spent a lot of time in my career being productive and successful and valuable and contributing, doing things that I really didn't care about. And so it's important for me to think about and to share my own story of how following someone else's template for success or not being authentic to myself and what I really wanted actually led me to burnout. As much as I had the success on paper and the credentials, I found myself at the end of that ladder, at the top of the ladder, if you will, feeling really empty and unmotivated. And so here's what I've come to believe. We get to be successful doing exactly what we want and being who we are, and we get to do it in a more sustainable way. And this is where authenticity is the key. Knowing ourselves, being true to ourselves, building this healthy connection to who we are and what we do is is really important in both being able to succeed, but also have that sustainability and constantly paying attention to our sense of well-being. A lot of people may be holding themselves back because, um, you know, they have this sense of self-doubt and largely this happens because they don't see themselves in leaders that they have, you know, visibility to. The people that they see don't look like them or sound like them or speak like them or think like them. And so I want to highlight stories about people that you may not see in your everyday career and, and represent different identities and different industries and I also want to take you back to a time in in my guests' lives where they weren't where they are today and show how they came from there into what they're doing now and how they're thriving by bringing more of themselves into their careers. So you might be wondering what working your way means. And again, I think it's different to everybody, but I'll tell you what I think about as I navigate my own career. The things that are important to me, when I think about working my way, it's Leveraging my natural talents. What are the things that I show up, I walk in every door, and I just naturally have? These are not things that I need to learn or develop new skills or change the style of how I show up. It's what are the things that I bring to the table every day just by being me? How do I change people in every room that I walk into just by showing up in it? And how can I leverage those natural talents in my work? Because when we can align our work to our natural talents, we're using less energy, we're we're draining ourselves less, and we're doing the things that we naturally do well in order to reach outcomes in the work that we're doing. It's also about we're doing work that aligns with the values that I have and the type of lifestyle that I want to live. 
And so I've more so in this chapter of my career really embraced this idea of autonomy and freedom as being really important to me. And I want to make my own choices about what type of work I do and when I do it and how I do it and where I do it. And I also want to be able to really like care for my own health and well-being. And I also want to be able to show up generously for the people that I love. And all of those things play a role in how I design my own career, how I design my own job here in my company and the ways that I want to work. And I also want work that gives me a place to grow. I want to be able to invest in my own development. I've always been someone who wants to learn and grow and change and really embraces that and leans into it. And so entrepreneurship is a really excellent way to (laughs) challenge yourself every day and, you know, maybe have an existential crisis once in a while, but it allows me to really um, learn and I get to take classes and I get to learn new skills and all of these things actually are in service of better serving my clients, but also in service of building a, a more successful business. And so for me, designing my career and my business and the way I I run my business is it's all about how do I leverage the things that I do really well naturally? How do I make sure that I'm incorporating my values and the type of lifestyle I want to live into that? And how do I make sure that I'm always growing and evolving and make that actually an intrinsic part of the work that I do. That's that's goes hand in hand with how successful I am as a business owner, how much I'm willing to do that. So my journey for me, um, I often say, you know, personal is professional, professional is personal. When it comes to hard skills, like maybe learning new code or learning a new system or something tactical, of course, we have to do those things at work. But I think a lot more of our professional development is really personal work. It's inner work, um, whatever you want to call it. But it's the things like um, I'm averse to conflict and I avoid it. And therefore, I don't want to speak up in a room where I feel like my opinion won't be valued or where it's going to create some um, chaos. And that type of thing isn't a work skill. It's not a professional development skill to to learn and, and figure out how you can speak up for yourself. That's a personal thing. It's inner work. And so my inner work, um, I often think the inner work is reflected in our career journey. And for me, what it's looked like is really reconnecting with myself in, in terms of being clear on what I love, what I want, how I impact people inherently using those talents, like I had mentioned. Um, even this podcast is a step toward me showing up authentically in my career and showing it fully in my business. I love having conversations with people. I do it every day in my coaching sessions and my team sessions with my entrepreneur friends. And so taking that thing that I love to do and actually turning it and using it as something that I can impact more people is authentic to me. I also have really in my own personal life, like done a lot of work on building a better relationship with my own emotions. I was always great with other people's emotions. I was there for them. I can hold space for them. I can show up and be nurturing and caring. But what I've come to learn along the way, um, and it it hit this kind of peak moment where I quit my job and 
ended a relationship and went to Bali in 2019. Um, this kind of epic uh, crash moment that I felt unmotivated and just really disconnected from myself. It was from years and years and decades and decades of ignoring my own emotional needs, being able to admit to myself that I feel angry about something or scared about something or sad about something or that I have emotional needs and I can ask people for help um, or I can ask them to be there for me. It's been a learning process for me. And I honestly didn't even really start it until my late 30s. And so that work in my personal life has played out in my work life as well. And interestingly, a lot of the work that I do with teams and leaders is helping them build a healthy relationship with their own emotions, helping them slow down, helping them recognize what's happening in their bodies. And then also really reshaping my relationship to work and my career. Um, You know, in the past, it was checking a lot of boxes and climbing the ladder and being successful at whatever it was that other people saw as successful. And now for me, it's really about being valuable and finding that sense of value in like who I am and not just what I do. And oh, by the way, I can use who I am to be successful in my business. And it feels like a much more easeful way, a sustainable way to success, if you will. So when I was really young, I was super independent. My parents would tell me stories about myself as a kid where I just wanted to do everything myself. And somewhere along the line, work really became this way that I could express my independence. Um, I grew up as the daughter of immigrants, um, South Asian Indian heritage. Growing up in Indiana, my family really always stressed education, like school, do your schoolwork, get good grades. And didn't actually put a lot of expectations on me about earning money or things like that. But I was always super independent. And I think I saw work as a way to really express my independence. So at like the age of 10 or 11, I started babysitting neighborhood kids. I went and got a little Red Cross babysitter certification. And I'd watch the neighborhood kids for whatever, $10 an hour. It was probably seven at the time. I don't even know how much I charged, but I would hang out and watch movies. And it was a really good gig. And I was making like pretty decent money. And then when I was 14, all my friends went to detassel corn. And so I I grew up in Indiana. Um, This is a thing that people did. And you couldn't get a job at the like grocery store, like a, a legal job until I think 15 or 16, but you could start detasseling corn, I think at 13 or 14. And so I did this with my friends and I remember I got my first paycheck and it was for one day of work. I think it was like $25 or something like that. And my dad, my dad was always also somebody who really loved work. And I think he was really proud of me for my independence. And he was kind of like a sentimental type wanting to like save her life. And I remember he I handed in my paycheck. I was like, can you take me to the bank so I can like deposit this in my bank account? And he said, how about if I just give you the $25 then we can take this check and we can frame it. And then you'll always have this framed, your very first paycheck. And I told him no, because 
to me, you know, and I think a lot of kids might have been like, sure, whatever, like money's money. I'll take your money. I don't care where it comes from. But for me, I had this internal sense of like, no, I don't want your money. I want the money that I earned. Like that was my independence at play there where I was like, I'm not just going to take your money. I actually want the money that that I deserve from my paycheck and I don't feel like I need to frame it. It's fine. So somewhere along the line, you know, work kind of went from just this expression of independence and doing the things that I really wanted to do to, to becoming some other things for me. And growing up, in Indiana, being, you know, one of the only uh, brown kids in the town, I think I had this sense of constantly wanting to figure out how I could fit in, how I could belong, how I could have social acceptance. And that was something that I had this really fine-tuned radar for. And making people feel good about me, um, knowing how they felt about me and, and being really keenly aware of that. I can remember a moment where uh, we were all gathered at my grandparents' house for the holidays, and one of my uncles asked me, like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think I was eight or nine, right? This was the late 80s. And I said, I want to be a teacher. And I was so excited because I loved I loved school. I loved uh, doing homework. I loved taking home worksheets in the summertime and, like, filling them out. I loved grading other people's work. Like that was like, that was really fun for me. And I really liked kids, right? I I started babysitting just a couple of years after this, but the response that I got from my family when I said I wanted to be a teacher was not what I expected. It wasn't a look of, wow, that's amazing. My grandmother actually looked at me and she said, are you sure you want to be a teacher? Cause they don't make a lot of money. And my grandfather was a career academic, so this wasn't about not respecting teachers. It was about security. For her, she saw this job, being a teacher, as less secure than some other things. And I think she wanted different for me. And I took that in, and in an instant, I mean, in a split second, I said, I want to be a pediatrician. And somewhere in my little, you know, eight or nine-year-old mind, I kind of took in this, okay, I like kids. My family wants me to make more money. A doctor. I can be a doctor for kids. And it was just this, like, intelligence of, of being able to pick up from my environment exactly what people wanted me to say. And I shifted my career aspirations that quickly. And the validation that I got from my family was exactly what I thought I would get the first time, maybe. They were like, great, that's amazing. They were so proud of me for having this aspiration. And so I think that was maybe the first moment where I saw career and achievement as a way to build acceptance and belonging. And that pattern continued for me for quite a long time. Even that corn detasseling job, which is a terrible job. It was hot. It was sweaty. It was uncomfortable. I left my babysitting gig where I was, you know, watching Disney movies and and making money. 
to go walk through a cornfield in full sleeves and full long pants in the middle of summer in Indiana and like pull the tassels out of corn because that's what my friends were doing. And I just really always wanted to be a part of the group. And luckily for me, everybody went to work at the grocery store a short year later. So I went to be the checkout girl at JC Food Store. um, And that was a much more comfortable situation. But looking back on high school and college, I feel like a lot of my radar was pointed toward collecting these accomplishments and achievements and being an honors student and being in the student government or I graduated from high school with honors and I got a full ride scholarship to business school where I graduated from honors from there and was in all these clubs. And I actually went to work for Procter & Gamble, which is a Fortune 50 company. I think recognition's always played a really big role in my life and career. And it was a way of earning myself admiration, acceptance, belonging, That external validation that came with achievement for me was, it was like a drug. It was, it was something that I would do and I'd get this great validation back from people. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm doing it. I'm checking the boxes. I'm doing all the things that I need to do. And I remember in high school, I told like so many people what I wanted to do when I grow up or, you know, after college is I wanted to make Super Bowl commercials. Because at the time, you know, this is the late 90s, like the Super Bowl commercials were like the epitome of advertising. And I knew, you know, I knew I was going to go to business school and I was going to major in marketing. And so I was like, great, this is fun. It's creative. And I enjoyed those things. But I think subconsciously I knew Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl commercials are like the highest of the high of recognition of what I could get in a marketing job. That was how my brain was working at least. So I soon came to find out that advertising internships were unpaid. And so I said, "Mm, maybe I don't want to do that. And so instead, I went to work for Procter & Gamble, which again, Fortune 50 company, very prestigious. And I could use my marketing degree there. I had a moment while I was working at P&G. I had just gotten promoted. um, And I remember I was one of the first people in my class to get to this first promotion level. And, you know, it was pretty exciting for me. And I had been tapped to to take this job. I actually didn't, I wasn't going for it. I wasn't advocating for it. Um, but, you know, my leadership came to me and said, hey, we have this role opening up and, and we think you'd be great for it. And so, of course, I was like, yeah, promotion, I'll take it. And I, <laughs> I had one of those moments where it was like, how did I get here? I was sitting in a conference room in northern Minnesota at one of our big customers, big regional grocery customers. And um, it was like totally old boys club leadership of this company. In fact, the room was wood paneled and they had all around the heads of different animals that they had hunted. There were like full figurines of Uh, a lion in the corner or a bear, all these game hunting trophies that they had gone out and gotten for themselves were like adorning this room. And I was this 24, probably at the time, 24 year old Indian woman from, you know, uh, I had moved there from Chicago and everyone else in the room was probably in their forties and fifties. They were all white 
And I just remember sitting there thinking, I felt so out of place. I'm looking around and I'm just like, I have nothing in common with these people. But I had taken that promotion because I was like proud for it to be offered to me. And and I wanted to keep going and moving up the ladder. And so, you know, the next 15 years or so are kind of had some really great moments uh, in my career there and in my subsequent career career at a different industry. And I had some moments where I really felt like those kind of maybe rock bottom moments or like, how did I get here? What am I doing here? Do I even like this? And one kind of particular low that really led me to where I am now I wasn't doing work that I was passionate about. I had gone through an acquisition. I'd gone through actually a couple of acquisitions, moving from consumer products into the hospitality industry, and our division got acquired. And I ended up working for, once again, leadership that looked, sounded, thought nothing like me, had some ethical uh, challenges with this leadership, and... I was doing this amazing work previous to the acquisition. It was really breakthrough and interesting and disruptive for the industry. And then when we all joined this new company, they really didn't want to do anything differently than the way things have been done before in the industry. And so I just felt like, I don't know, somebody had stuck a pin in my balloon of of career happiness and like the air was leaking out very, very, very quickly. And so... This rock bottom moment for me looked like coming home at the end of the workday and vegging out, dissociating, trying to like ignore all of the awful stuff that I had endured that day. My ideas weren't listened to. Um, We were making business decisions that I didn't agree with and I thought were really harmful for customers and employees seeing people kind of shouting into the abyss, trying to really like share what might work better and having leadership not listen to them. And I didn't feel like myself. I had been slowly losing myself for a long period of time in my career. But this was, I didn't want to go out. I I was sad a lot and... And frankly, I felt my emotions actually a little bit out of control at at a lot of points. And I had been someone who was always under control for such a long time. I mentioned that, you know, building a relationship with my own emotions has been a big part of, of my own growth. And I think I had been ignoring them and ignoring them and denying them for so long. Now they were loud. They were screaming and they were taking over my day. And I knew I had to do something different. And so I quit my job with nothing lined up. I left the relationship that I was in that also felt like it wasn't serving me. And I ran away to Bali, as cliche as that sounds. And I committed to doing only what I enjoyed for four months, which ended up turning into seven. And during that time, I really rediscovered my love of learning. And I was sharing things with people that I really loved learning new things and telling other people about them and seeing the enthusiasm in in them. And one of those aha moments was, you know, interacting with relative strangers and having them reflect back to me some of my own talents and things where they would call out certain things that I was doing. And I 
And I was like, oh, everybody thinks that way or everybody does that. And they they would say like, nope, that's actually not true. It's something that you do really well. And so spending time with people that didn't know me and that I didn't know and didn't have any preconceived notions of who I was was actually really valuable for me. And during that time, I was doing a lot of my own personal growth work. And so I started doing workshops for people, sharing the tools that I was incorporating in my own life. And it ended up being a really positive experience for a lot of people, especially me. And so that was really the the origin story of my business. And I came home actually in March of 2020, right into the pandemic, And I kind of immersed myself in school and certifications and really combining my corporate experience and my experience as a leader and a manager with some formal education. And uh, that's where I started Self at Work. I began career coaching and really helping people reconnect with themselves and figure out what they wanted to do in their careers because it was something that I had kind of just gone through. And where I am now is I still do some one-on-one coaching, but most of my time is spent with teams. And it's really about you know, sitting with leaders and their teams and bringing my brain and my heart to the table to help them create a better team environment that really leverages the different talents on their teams or the different thinking and working and communication styles and harnessing those things instead of saying, gosh, this person never speaks up in a meeting. So they probably just don't have anything to say or they don't care. And like getting beyond those kind of assumptions where we tend to fill in the blanks about somebody and opening up the door for people to have real authentic conversations with each other about what works best for them and what will enable them within their team structure to bring their best work to the table. Last November, I uh, actually did a talk about a lot of this stuff, about my own story, um, my own story of belonging and, and work and, you know, how I kind of reconnected with myself. And it was a really personal talk, and I can link the video in the show notes, but something really interesting happened. I had this, you know, this moment where I was on a stage and I was sharing so much about my own story and my own journey with the audience. And... I expected the story to resonate with people. I did expect that, you know, there would be maybe children of immigrants that would really see themselves in my story and and recognize something. And the craziest thing happened after I was done, I had somebody come up to me that said, wow, I really resonated with your story. I saw myself in it. And it was a 80-year-old white Jewish man from the Upper East Side of New York. Not a all the type of person that I thought would see themselves in my story. I thought I probably couldn't have been farther off from this man and his lived experience. And he shared with me just how similar our stories were. And I think this moment and uh, a lot of others along the way, as I've been sharing my story and sharing more of myself with people, you know, publicly or clients I, it's helped me recognize that like the power of, of stories and being able to identify parts of yourselves and others, we get to see ourselves in others, in their stories. And oftentimes it haps in, happens in ways that we might never expect. And that was a real inspiration for me, having somebody see themselves in what I had to say that looks and sounds and talks nothing like me. But this 
shared humanity of the experience of bending or twisting ourselves or playing to the expectations of of people that, you know, we don't even know that we're doing until we get so far off of our own path. It's like this slow drift that can happen to so many of us. And seeing just how many of us have have gone through that, I really want to start this podcast to help people recognize those things earlier and have some tools to get back on their own track. The tool that I shared when I was in Bali doing workshops was something called the Enneagram. And it's something that I use as a coach and a team facilitator a lot in my work. And it's really about understanding what are the core motivations behind your behaviors. And it's especially insightful because we often can behave very similar ways to other people, but the kind of core human needs behind it might be different. And it's like when you go to the doctor and you have a headache. Do you treat the headache or do you treat the the reason that you have a headache? What's the root cause of that headache? And so much we're, we're treating the symptom and not the actual problem. And so Enneagram can help us really dig deep and see what is the challenge there? What's the thing that we're trying to get? And so for me, I'm sure you heard a lot of this in my story of, you know, modeling my path off of other people's expectations and other people's definitions of success and how I was checking those boxes along the way, but they weren't my boxes that I wanted to check. And I never really stopped to ask myself if, if I wanted those things. And so recognizing in my own Enneagram type, just how uh, mine is the type three that often makes themselves valuable and earns connection to other people through achievement, through being successful, through maintaining an image of success. And for me, recognizing that has been a huge part of like letting go of some of those things, um, redefining what success means for me and really challenging and asking myself, like, is this my way of doing things or is this what other people say? Or is this the way that they say that I should do it? And so I say all this to say, like, you know, my work is cultivating this internal sense of value and recognizing that I'm valuable for who I am and not what I do which is hard. And we can cognitively know a lot of things. Like we can cognitively know if we're like conflict avoidant that, oh, I should just speak up more. But oftentimes these things that we need to work on to really show up fully are deep and they're very conceptual. And the thing that I've learned through studying trauma is that they live in our bodies. It's not a mind thing. It's not a mindset thing. It's not a, oh yeah, just speak up for yourself more often. Or oh, just tell yourself that like you're not valuable for what you do. Like, easy, right? But that's not the case because they do live deeply in us that it's important for me and it's been important for me in my journey as a coach and also for myself to like, what are the tools to find the tools that can actually help us shift some of those things? Because anybody can say, you know, if you're, distracting yourself because you don't want to face the negative emotions around something that you're doing, like just do it. But recognizing 
why you might be distracting yourself. Why are the negative emotions really difficult for you? And what are some tangible things you can put in place to really start to address that? That's the work that I love to do. And I think it's really important that we both recognize the deep conceptual stuff and we can say, okay, what do I go do about it? What are the tangible tools and practices that I can put in place in my life to start to shift this thing? And that's one of the reasons that not only do I want to share stories with you on this podcast, but I really want to share those tangible tools and resources and the things that you can actually go and put in place in your own career. And so the goal for this podcast is both inspiration and tangible action. And I really look forward to not only hearing these stories about other people's journeys, but you know, I'll share my takeaways on, on how you can apply some of the things that they're talking about in your own life and career. And that could be prompts to reflect on. It could be podcasts or books or articles or practices that you can incorporate into your own day-to-day. And I really just love practical action. So taking that insight, turning it into action. And so as you listen, I would encourage you to think about what does working your way mean to you? How do you want to bring yourself into your career? What is your ideal vision of working your way look like? And what can you do where you are right now? Because we know we can't all quit our jobs and design a career that is exactly what we want. I'm going to try my best to role model that that is possible by making it happen for myself and then turning and helping other people do it. But in the meantime, What can you do from where you are right now to bring yourself a little bit more into your career and find that great marriage between success and sustainability? And so I hope you find a lot of value in listening to these episodes. I'm really looking forward to the amazing conversations that I get to have with the great guests that I'm going to have on. But I'm also really looking forward to being in conversation with you about what landed for you, what resonated, what did you take away? What questions do you have? Did I offer a tool that you just don't know what to go do with? And and so I want to encourage you to share the conversations, share your own perspective, share the episodes with friends, have those conversations with colleagues and and loved ones and mentors, and then come back and and tell me, what did you discover? What do you still need help with? So before I go, I just want to say a huge thank you for being here with me along my journey to continue to work my way and show up authentically in my own career. And I can't wait to see where this journey takes us. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.